0: For a number of weeks now, we have been looking at what a faithful ministry, a faithful church, what some of those aspects of that church might look like. And today I will repeat myself uh, briefly, because there is benefit in rehearsing and hearing again and again what some of these purposes and goals and principles are. Uh, But just if you've not heard these at all, hear this biblical description of what we would consider aspiring to, what any faithful church should, uh, for a purpose. A faithful purpose might sound like this. To reach, to nurture, and to equip. To reach, nurture, and equip God's people for God's worship and service in God's world. That is a pretty faithful summary of the whole telling of Scripture, of of what Christians, what the church should be doing in the world. And then we've considered some some biblical goals, some categories. To know, to grow, and to be. That we want those within the church to truly know Christ, to sincerely know Him, not just to know about Him and be acquainted with Him, but to know Christ. And then to grow in Him, to experience transformation and change throughout your life from young to old. And then thirdly, to be, to be the church as it's described in Scripture. And that's where we talked about all the different fruits of the Christian life. And there were seven of them, but I'm not going to repeat those now. And then for the last well, last week and again this week, we're going to consider principles. And last week we considered what I call principle number one, which is Scripture. That we believe the Bible is the Word of God, unique, holy, uh, given to us by the Holy Spirit through men. And you saw perhaps this morning a model of, of that principle, that we want our graduates to have it and to have it forever. And we want our people to have it and to have it forever because it's a principle. It's something we believe in. We're that serious about it. And now this morning, our second principle we're going to consider is justification. It's the Bible's doctrine, the Bible's teaching about how a sinner is justified in the sight of a holy God. And so we have two short scripture readings for this. The first is from Luke chapter 5. The second is from Romans chapter 5. But give your attention to God's Word. In just a moment, as I find my glasses. Where are my glasses? Where? Ah, thank you, sir. Panic attack. (laughs) Okay, Luke chapter 5 and Romans chapter 5. Jesus answered them It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then from Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, at just the right time, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we acknowledge this subject is one of the primary principled purposes revealed in all of Holy Scripture. There is no greater subject for us to consider this morning than our justification and what Scripture says about it from Genesis to Revelation. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Would you soften our hearts? Would you renew our wills? And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So working quickly this morning, uh, so much to say on this subject. And let's just go ahead and say this is going to be a very inadequate sermon on a very important subject. Um, So I'm aware of the inadequacies. You don't have to tell me. But on the subject of justification, we've got to start with a definition of our term. Right? Uh, It sounds so technical. Well, it is. It is. So what is justification? Or really, what is it to justify or to be justified? Well, let's start with Merriam-Webster for an understanding of what in our English, English usage and in our culture, how we use that word and how it may be similar to how the Bible uses it. So Merriam-Webster says this, to justify is to prove or show something to be just, right, And true. It also means to demonstrate something is sufficient in its legal standing. And then thirdly, in our English usage, it means to space lines of a text so that the lines are perfectly even at the margins. Okay, students who've written papers, you know, to justify left or to justify right or to center, that's the language it's to make sure everything is square and true. And that is our English English that's so hard to say. That is our English use of the word. But what about a biblical theological use of it as the apostle Paul uses it throughout Romans and in his epistles? What does it mean? Well, really it means all of the above. All captured together, the same imagery and understanding. It is a legal term as Paul uses it. And it means to declare righteous and in good standing that all things are totally lined up and square as they should be. So there's a lot of overlap there between our English understanding and what the Apostle Paul is describing. And this morning, you and I need to hear it for the good news that it is. Because none of us is lined up and square in all categories of life as we should be, right? None of us has it all together in this life. But there is this thing called justification. What Jesus has done for sinners that makes everyone square and true in the eyes of God. Even though we're really not square and true in and of ourselves. The beautiful doctrine of justification. So it was a great week for me this week because this subject, go figure, would drive me to Martin Luther. Martin Luther, that human instrument of God who was used in the reformation and the doctrine of justification being what fueled his hammering of those 95 theses on the door, on the church door at Wittenberg. Who better to go look and recount some of his quotes? On justification than Martin Luther so brace yourself this morning in a short time you're getting five quotes from Martin Luther and every one of them is gold and you ought to memorize them so the first is this Luther has been attributed with this quote the article of justification is the doctrine by which the church stands or collapses well, that's a pretty bold statement what he says, what he means is, if you get justification wrong, you're going to dissolve as the true church of the Lord Jesus. Um, I used to explain to students, I'll do it now. Uh, imagine, some of you had this experience. You're getting ready, you're putting on a buttoned up shirt. At least I've done this. Have you ever buttoned your shirt up, got all the way up to the top, and you realize you got your buttons out of order? <laughs> it was wrong, and you're like, ah i got to start all over again, undo all the buttons, and get it right this time. Um, it, the doctrine of justification, and really the doctrine of Scripture last week, really all the principles. Let's think of the principles as the button of the shirt. About five buttons, right? we got about five principles. You've got to get those buttons lined up correctly, or you're going to be off. And you're not going to, you're not going to line up. You're going to not connect with truth. And so the first button on the shirt is the doctrine of Scripture. You've got to get the doctrine of Scripture right or you're going to come to erroneous conclusions about who God is and about who you are. Secondly, it's that story of justification. The whole theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the revealing of God to His people and what He is going to do in providing a Redeemer for those people. And so we've got to get it lined up right lest we get it wrong and we're all out of whack at the top. So why is it a principle? Why do we emphasize it as a principle? Luther's right. The Christian church stands or falls based on whether or not you see and believe this doctrine of justification by faith. Well, how are we justified? Now, this is where I really need your attention, practically speaking. Two ways in which we try to be justified. Really, one in which we try and then one in which we are. That's probably more faithfully said. According to the world and the culture that you and I live in, according to the world outside of the doors here, we justify ourselves by our works. That's how the world operates. And in Paul's day as he's writing this letter it was the same especially within the jewish community the pharisees the teachers of the law had emphasized that your obedience of the law the law of moses that's how you prove yourself that's how you're justified that's how you can rise above other men is through your obedience and so whether then or now the practice of the world has always been the same, it's self-justification through your works. Now I don't have to convince you that that's how the world works. Those graduates who we just celebrated, they have become very familiar, all of us who have been students, we understand that you prove yourself through tests, through paper writing, through speeches. It is all about performance. And when you do well, you feel well. And we've learned self-justification. In this world, that's how it works. But not with a holy God. With a holy God, there is no proving ourselves. We need His mercy and His grace. We need His blood washing to deal with our sin. Luther quote number two. We believe that the very beginning and end of salvation... And the sum of Christianity consists of faith in Christ, who by his blood alone and not by any works of ours has put away sin and destroyed the power of death. Do you hear that? We are growing and learning how to think in the world in which we live. And by nature, we're trying to prove ourselves all the time. Prove ourselves, prove ourselves. But when we come to the gospel, we come to completely different standards and completely different terms. Have you had to live through that tension yet? Have you felt that tension of, okay, I, I've been trained to think this way and operate this way, but when I come before the Lord, that is not how we think, that is not how we operate. Have you felt that tension in your life? Have you had to learn the grace necessary, the grace required? For your access to the holiness of God through Jesus. Our world has taught us well, and our own nature we've received from Adam has taught us well that it's as if it's all about being good, being good citizens, about being upright, moral people. We also try to justify ourselves, think of your own heart and your own life. It's self-justification, not just by resumes, but self-justification by diplomas, or the size of our paychecks, or our status symbols. There's a self-justification by mirrors, trying to look a certain way. And when you feel like you look a certain way, you feel a little better, right? You feel like you measure up. You compare well. Or maybe justification through athletic performance as well as academic performance. Or justification by weight scales, right? This is how we naturally think. We feel better, we feel more successful, more acceptable when we meet these standards which mean nothing to to God. There's even a sense of self-justification by how many likes or follows you get on social media, right? It's just how we operate. It's how the, the fallen sinful heart really functions. And when we're honest, we'll admit it. That's justification according to the world and our culture. And we need to name those things in our own hearts and in our own lives. And we need to help our children see that and distinguish This is not how the Lord and the gospel work. This is how the world works. Well, you got to have that distinction. You can't have the one and not the other in Christ's church. So, how about justification according to Scripture? This, of course, would be the point of Romans 5. And the language of the, the, the word of the day to go home and talk to your children about is vicarious. The atonement in the Bible is a vicarious atonement, which means it's not self-justification. It's justification by another. Somebody else has the power to do the justifying of the sinner. And that, of course, is the vicarious lamb, the Lord Jesus, who gave His life for sinners. Justification in the Bible, unlike justification in the world, it's by another and it's by grace. It's not by merit. It's justification by another, and it's by grace. You and I can't earn it. We can't win it. But everything in our world makes us think, well, yes, I can, because I'm pretty good. And I like me. I like me a lot. That's that internal conversation we have with ourselves. And the Scriptures don't just push back against that. The Scriptures level that thinking and say, you need Jesus. He is, your, he is the one who can justify a sinner. A friend in the ministry by the name of Hal Farnsworth, some of you may know that name. He's an, he's an older minister to me. He's been a mentor through RUF to many of us. But I heard him on this subject recently tell a story that I think sums up this concept beautifully. He told the story about how when he was in college... And a new convert to Christ found himself with a couple of buddies uh, deciding to play golf. But they didn't have permission to go on this exclusive and private golf course. So as a young Christian, they would climb the fence with their golf clubs and hide in the pine trees waiting to sneak on the course. The security guard approached them and said, what are you doing? And he said, hunting squirrels. The security guard said, with golf clubs? Get out of here. And they were quickly escorted off of the golf course. That's the first half of the story. That's that's self-justification. That's saying, you know what, I can do this. I can climb the fence and I can play on this golf course. But no, you can't. There's an authority that says you do not have access. You cannot play this course. And that authority will actually escort you off of the premises. Forty years later, this gentleman is in his car riding with his wife. And they drive past this golf course. And he remembers the story that he hasn't thought of since. And he says out loud, you know, I've never played this golf course and he told his wife that story. She treasured that in her heart and went and talked to some friends. And within a few days, he got a phone call and an invitation from a member of the golf course and an invitation to go play on that golf course 40 years later. And he tells the story of how much he enjoyed walking where. He had been escorted away from 40 years earlier. He had no right. He had no privilege. But he had access through another. You see, it's vicarious. It wasn't him. It wasn't anything he did. He knew a member who had access. And he said, actually, the story gets even better because that member knew the manager personally and took me to him. And the manager extended his hand and gave me a handshake and said, hey, it's nice To meet you. And in his mind, all he could see was his 20-year-old self. Kicked off and out of the pine trees, but then welcomed, greeted with a handshake, and treated with dignity. You see, that's justification by another. If you, if I, are living in this life trying to self-justify, the Scriptures say we'll be escorted out in the end. But when we put all of our faith, trust, and hope in one who has secured access, the Lord Jesus Himself, do you see that's vicarious atonement? That's what Jesus has said He has done for His church. Thirdly, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Quote number three from Martin Luther Martin Luther said this about justification. Every week, I preach justification by faith to my people. Because every week, they forget it. Isn't that true? We go right back to thinking like the world that we were called out of. We are driven to prove ourselves. And this morning, if, if this doctrine of justification, as the Scriptures teach it, if it can get a hold of you, if it can get a hold of me... Here's what it can do. Here's the power of justification. Number one, and we sang about it in our hymns, it brings an amazing calm into the Christian life. Because you realize that the ultimate question that matters most, you are at peace with God. He is not your enemy, and He has made you to be a part of His family. That's pretty calming. The second thing it does is it enables us to... Quit pretending to try to earn the favor of God. And that's pretty liberating. When we know we have full and free access through the Lord Jesus, that's pretty liberating. But the third thing it does, and I really want you to hear me say this, it frees us up from trying to prove ourselves to one another. It frees us up from measuring ourselves with one another. We all have full and free access through the same perfect king. And sometimes we can get on our little spiritual treadmill and run ourselves to death because we're trying to prove ourselves, right? Stop. Believe the doctrine of justification. Put your trust in Him. Otherwise... You'll live a neurotic Christian life. It will drive you crazy. There will be no peace. There will be no calm. You'll be worked up like a hamster on a wheel. But that doctrine of justification is calming. You can be no more accepted than you are in Christ. If you identify with Christ, and Christ identifies with you, there is no greater place to be. Now I know the language of identification in our culture is is a tricky subject. But I want you to take that concept this morning and apply it this way. All of us by birth, whether you believe it or not, we identify with Adam. The first Adam revealed to us in Genesis. You understand that? The Scriptures teach that all of us by birth are united to Adam. We identify with Adam. We have a connection to Adam. But the second thing I need you to hear is this. Some in this life identify with Christ, the second Adam. And we are identified with him by faith or by new birth, a second birth. You've got to capture that. That is what the scriptures are revealing from Genesis to Revelation. There are two Adams. Everybody is born of the one, some are born of the second Adam, the better Adam, the greater Adam. Now here's the hard question. Here it comes. Are you ready? Who are you identifying with? Do you identify with Jesus? Does He identify with you? If you are a Christian, you identify with Jesus. I can't press any harder than to say I hope you are hearing and seeing and understanding that you can't be good enough to identify with Jesus. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't do evangelism enough. You can't volunteer in the church enough. But do you identify with Him? That Yes, I need Him as my Savior. I believe Him. I think He's true. My faith is in Him. Then you are in Christ. And you need to know that you're in Christ And you need to know that you're justified by Him. And you need not try to prove yourselves and your righteousness. He will work a righteousness in you. More on that in two weeks as we talk about sanctification. But justification is the heart of the Bible. It's at the heart of the Scriptures. We all identify with Adam. Some, by faith, identify with the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. And that is our justification. Why does it all matter? Well, two more quotes from Martin Luther that go great together. Peanut butter and jelly quotes. I'm gonna read them both together, and these I have printed for you. Listen to this. This is called, I call this the Great Exchange. You've heard this referenced as the Great Exchange before. He says this. This is why it matters. Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness and I am your sin. You took upon yourself what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. Christ died for me. He made His righteousness mine and made my sin His own. And if He made my sin His own, then I do not have it, and I am free. That's justification. The freedom that comes with justification. I hope in everything you hear and see done within the ministry of GPC, that you're bumping into this doctrine of justification all over the place. The songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the sermons that we hear you should be bumping into justification all over the place. And it is a good thing to bump in. This is the heart of the Bible. It's a principle we have to hold to. And we don't compromise our principles. May that always be true. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing about this justification. Lord, would you work this truth from your Scripture deeply into our hearts... Those of us who are running on treadmills and hamster wheels trying to prove ourselves. Who are exhausted in the Christian life because of our self-efforts in justification. Lord, even today, would you set us free from that? Would you help us identify with Christ and not with our works? Would you see that He has taken our sin and dealt with it once and for all? And so, Lord, we ask this and we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this hymn, we're going to stand and sing this hymn. I've just got one more comment to make. Out of all the things that we've read and prayed and all the songs that we've heard, there's been a theme, and it's the language of come, come, come to the Lord, come. As you've heard about this doctrine of justification this morning, this is an invitation to come as a sinner, Identify with Christ and know that your justification is real. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.